0: Good morning, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 17 through 22. If you don't have a Bible, just slip your hands up, the ushers will grab one, you're more than welcome to look on electronic device as well, if that's easier for you. We have been in this text for a while, in Hebrews for a while, and I'm excited because last week we had a pastor friend of mine, Ryan, teach on uh, loving all peoples, but two weeks ago we seem like there was kind of this turning point in faith as we've been looking through Hebrews 11, as we've been through the whole book of Hebrews, talking about what does faith really look like? How do we get kind of to the nuts and bolts of, of faith? And how do we get, there are some seats up front, if anyone wants to come up front, just so you guys know. Um, how, do we, how do we get through the, the space of understanding how faith applies to our lives? Not all of us are going to go out and build an ark or, or be asked to sacrifice our son or, or be sent to a, a, a promised land that we won't know about. Like these are things, these are big Big things that God has has kept together for us through the history of Scripture and we've been able to be encouraged by. But how does this play for us? And this week, actually, of all the weeks, I'm really excited because it seems like another turning point in faith. This week, I think we figure out a little bit of what faith looks like and how it plays out in, in the scriptures. And so I'm incredibly excited about that. But as you've maybe known, if you've been here for a while, back in January, about every January or so. We The elders, we pray through a, a, a word or something that we feel like God wants us to work on as a year. And this year, we had prayed through, and we felt like it was faith. We felt like God was really going to, to stretch us, to ask us to step in faith. And so we, we started praying for that. We've been talking about that. We are asking you to, to risk faith individually and then collectively as a gospel community or as, as a church, what that looks like. And as we've done this, I, I have to tell you, I've seen incredible things happen by people stepping in faith. I've seen, we've seen, we've had people actually get physically healed by ailments that doctors didn't understand over this last year. We've seen marriages that I honestly, if I, of all the marriages I get to walk through, I, with after infidelity, these marriages were hanging by a thread and we've seen these marriages be completely restored. We've seen time and time again, God move in people's lives and redeem and do incredible things. We've also seen people that have been praying for years to get pregnant, getting pregnant and actually having a child. And we've, we have seen this over and over and over again, and it's been a profoundly beautiful thing. And as I looked at those lives, as I walked with this, what I noticed is, is a couple things that were consistent in the lives of these individuals that were going through this stuff. Not perfectly, they did not, they did not do this perfectly, but I saw some consistent things that, that were present in their faith journey that I saw across the board to see these, these uh, husband and wife reunited together and reconciled after just a terrible breaking of infidelity. And I've seen God do incredible things as people have been throwing their hands up about what's what's physically wrong with me. I don't know what's going on. And the Lord just moving in that way. And in each of those individuals, again, not perfect, but in each of those individuals, I see what we actually see out of this text today. And so let's go ahead and read this text. Let's look at it and we'll talk about that some more. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, okay, I'm gonna pause here for a second. This is very, very, very key for us to understand. God will never tempt you. He will never tempt you. Now, he may test you. Testing is to produce in you a fruit or a character building or something to make you more like Jesus Christ. Temptation is to cause you to fail. God does not tempt. He tests. So when you see that word, you've got to recognize that. Some of you right now, you are being tested by the Lord, and you think it's a temptation, but really God's saying, no, I'm trying to cut things off of you that aren't of me. I'm trying to make you more like Christ. So Abraham being tested. So just, that was free. Enjoy that one, okay? When he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the, in the act of offering up his only son. So speaking of Abraham, he'd received promises from God about Isaac, specifically. And he said, offering up his only son. Only son here is the same way that it said the only begotten son is another way to say it. Speaking about Jesus Christ. This is not Jesus Christ. This is talking about Isaac. But it's the same language that's used there. His only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was, even, was able to even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave direction concerning his bones. And so we see this section where he kind of he talks another bit about Abraham's life, which we've been talking about aspects of Abraham's life. It makes sense. He's, he's the father of faith, right? And so we, we hear him being brought up in the situation. And what he's talking about specifically here is, is where Abraham sent Isaac to be sacrificed. And so a couple things, and we're going to read that scripture, but a couple things that we have to understand in the context. First is Genesis 12, God calls Abraham out of the promised land into the land that he will show. So we've already talked about that, right? And, and he lives only in tents and never ever experiences a foundation. One year after he leaves to the promised land, there's a famine on the promised land and he has to go back to Egypt. And so he spends some time in Egypt. And then and we see that. And then one year after that, or no, about five years later, God promises him many descendants as much as the dust is on the earth. We see that in Genesis 13. So God calls him out And then about six or seven or almost nine, eight years later, he promises him descendants. And then about four years after the promise of descendants, stay with me, four years after the promise of descendants, we get to Genesis 15, 4, 6. It says this, And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir, your very own son, he doesn't have a son at this point, shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars. If you are able to number them, then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he continued it to him, and he counted it to him as righteousness. And then, right after this, a super intimate covenant happens. Now covenant, we've, we've talked about this before, but a little background. A covenant is, is a binding agreement between two people. In the Old Testament, what it was is normally you'd take to, an animal, cut it in half, and split them across on either side, and the blood of the animals through the middle, and the person would pass through, usually the, the lesser of the person. So if it was a king and a peasant, the peasant would pass through saying, if I don't uphold this covenant, then the same thing should happen to me that happened to these animals. And in in a total, like, audible, a total thing that, like, messes with everyone's head, at least historically and in general, because it's never happened again, is Abraham doesn't walk through the middle of those animals. God passes through them. And so what he's saying, in essence, is what God's saying in the covenant to Abraham, which is, Abraham's questioning God. Okay, you say I'll have many descendants. How do I know? I'm just gonna lob this one out guys if God's speaking you like let's just go ahead and say he's trustworthy okay we don't need him to do anything else but but Abraham asked for something else and so this is how he does it's fine I'll, I'll, let's make a covenant let's do this and then God passes through the animals the higher over the lesser and what that means is if Abraham fails to uphold the covenant it's on God if God fails to uphold the covenant it's on God God takes the whole thing it's a beautiful picture of Jesus Christ in the future an incredibly profound, beautiful picture, this intimate covenant with Abraham, the only one that's so intimate with God and Abraham, here we see it in the scriptures, this happens, and like, maybe a year later, okay, maybe a year later, Genesis 16, we see uh, Sarah offering up her Egyptian servant, Hagar, to to Abraham to make descendants, because like, well, he promised descendants, but it's been this long, seven years or so, what, I mean, maybe this is how I'll help, and so he Impregnates Hagar, Ishmael comes from that. God blesses Ishmael, but that's not the purpose and that's not what he's talking about. And then in Genesis 18, almost 14 years from the covenant made with his promises, so 14 years from that covenant, 14 years from there, a son is promised again a year from now. And that's when Sarah laughs. I mean, it was already funny 14 years ago, but now it's just like comical. I'm well beyond. Everything physically in me is not possible for me to have a child at this point. And so and then a year later, he has about Genesis 21, we see that Isaac is born. And that's where this story picks up in Genesis 22. Now, it's not one year after. We assume that Isaac in this story, most scholars would believe he's from age 15 to 30. That's the best we can kind of timestamp him in this. So he's either 15 at the youngest or 30 at the oldest, oldest or some, most likely somewhere in between there. So then Genesis 22, it's the very front of the book, 22nd chapter if you want to read with me or I can read it to you, is where this picks up. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. He said, Take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. Now, remember, he has Ishmael, who's with Hagar, but this is what God is saying. God's saying, This is the son. This is your son. This is the one that everything's going through, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Then it says, So Abraham rose. Early in the mor in the morning, saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. Okay, he doesn't tell him when to do it. Let me just make that really clear. He doesn't say, "Hey, on this day, do it." He just tells him to do it. The very next morning, Abraham gets up and does that. I, I like this is conjecture. This is my own thought. I kind of feel like he didn't talk to Sarah about it. I mean, is just, just me, because I, I, like, I, I can't even imagine trying to bring Judah up to my wife, but I'm pretty sure she'd punch me if I was going to do something like that. Because a sacrifice, was an, a, a burnt offering was an atonement for sins. You would dismember the sacrifice. You would cut it, kill it, dismember it, let the blood drain out, and then you'd burn each of those body pieces as an aroma, as an offering to God. So that's what is in his, his mind. Abraham wakes up the next morning knowing that Isaac is the one that's about to be dismembered. And so he goes on. With Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went on the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Now, Chronicles tells us that this is Mount Moriah, which we know later on the entire sacrificial system that, that operated in Jerusalem was instituted on this mountain. Okay, so we see that right there. And so he says, Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son, which is why we know he's older than six years old. He's carrying all the wood for a burnt offering. And, and Isaac said to—and Isaac—oh, and so they both went up together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order. And then just kind of goes into this, and bound Isaac to his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven, said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me your one and only begotten son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by his thorns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place the Lord will provide, Jehovah Jireh, or Jehovah Jireh as we would say it. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. Okay, so this, this seems just crazy all the way around the board. And and, and Hebrews kind of tells this story, this narrative. They don't really offer anything extra other than he says that, well, Abraham knew that he would be, he would obviously raise him from the dead because this doesn't make sense. There's an incongruency seemingly with God's commands and what God has promised and what he's asking now. See, God had promised that through Isaac, through Isaac shall your offspring be. That's a promise that, that was in place. And Abraham walks up and he takes Isaac up there and he goes and gets ready to sacrifice him. And what was happening in an instance, which is something that I think most of us miss in our lives, is that when Abraham was called out of the promise, out of his, his comfort, his home, out of Ur and head to the land of unknown where God was going, we've talked about that a few weeks ago. God was asking Abraham to give up his past, to give up his birthright, to give up his his. his, his ability to be a citizen somewhere and and move into an alien. So he's literally asking him to give up his past. What God does with Isaac is he's asking him to give up his future. And see, and I think most of us are really good at giving God our past. Oh yeah, I was a total mess when I didn't follow the Lord, but then God gave me, he saved me, he he sacrificed his son for me, and I get it, like I'm whole now, and I'm a follower of Jesus, and man, he did so much for me. But we rarely give God the credit for our future. We rarely push ourselves to say, oh, wait, wait, not only does he want to take our past and restore and redeem, but he's actually the God of our future as well. And most of us live our lives, don't miss this, most of us live our lives as if our future is here on this earth in a vapor of a life. When God doesn't promise, his promises don't end here. His promises go long beyond that, into eternity, into the kingdom of God, forever. And so he, in a moment here, is asking Abraham, not only has he asked him to give up his past, now he's saying, we give up your future. And again, it seems incongruent. It seems like, wait a second, you're asking something that makes no sense. The crux of Abraham's crisis is a seeming contradiction between the promises of God, which were to be fulfilled through his heir Abraham, or Isaac. So Abraham was forced into a radical posture of trusting God. He was forced into a radical posture of trusting God and believing that, and and then in that trust, acting in obedience. That's how faith plays out. Look, just in case you're wondering, I feel like, I'd love to put some conjecture in this and be like, Abraham was wrestling the whole time he was walking, the whole time. Man, he must have just been like, turning his mind, am I really going to do this? How is this going to happen? But Romans 4 gives us a little bit of insight into that. I don't know if you know this. Romans 4, 20 and 21, speaking of Abraham, no unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. It was for God and not for Abraham to reconcile his promises and his commands. Do you see that? In our lives, so often, we want, God to re- we, want, we want to reconcile what God promises and what he commands. And we want to try and make those work. And, and Abraham, in this situation, just says, no, God, you're going to have to figure this out. I've seen your, I, the covenant happened. I've made my mistakes. Look, Abraham is not perfect. We'll talk about that in a second. I've made my mistakes, but I can trust your promises. And you said through Isaac, you will make as many descendants as there are stars in the sky. So if I kill Isaac, something's got to happen. Look, there was no human sacrifice in a healthy or holy way at this point. There was no resurrection necessarily talked about or done in this point. And Abraham just like, nope, God's promises. I'm resting on it. That's it. And he holds his crown and he walks in faith to put his son on the altar. It's interesting because you can actually understand that the author isn't going out of his way in Hebrews to try and explain something that doesn't make sense. Because if you go back just a little bit to what Abraham says to his servants, he says, stay here in verse five. Stay here with the donkey, I and the boy. So both of us. We'll go over there, pointing probably at the mountain or whatever, and worship and come again to you. He doesn't say, and I will come again to you. It's, 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 it's used in the tense where he's saying, and we'll be back with you. So he literally walked up that mountain knowing that him and, Ab- him and Isaac would come back together. So Abraham walked up there in faith, getting ready to do something that makes absolutely no sense, which completely contradicts seemingly the promises that he'd given him already. And he walks up there confidently going, well, Isaac's coming back with me. I don't know how, but he's coming back. And see, for, for most of us in our lives, is we struggle to really sacrifice anything precious to ourselves. And whatever, whatever you hold most dear, most precious, is it your marriage, your kids, your finances, your plans, your education, your job. We have all these things that we hold very precious. And you want to know how I know they're, they're precious? It's because we think about them a lot. We spend a lot of time thinking about them and working through it and fixated on if we're doing it right or if we can do it better or if what needs to happen or, or how to make things work to make it make sense for us. And so we get fixated on that so much so that ultimately we, we end up finally idolizing or worshiping those things, our children, our education, our plans, our home, our finances. And what Abraham does here is he offers the most precious thing he has. You've got you to gotta believe As a father, like, I'm an imperfect father, but I've watched people pray to get pregnant. I mean, this guy's been wanting a kid for, you know, 100 years. You've got to believe that Isaac was pretty precious to him. And he just says, on the altar, let's sacrifice it up. What is your Isaac? What's the very thing that God's saying, no, I need you to lay this on the altar? And here's why, because when you lay it on the altar and you give it to me, I will know that you fear me first above everything else. I'll know that I am in the rightful place in your life where I'm supposed to be on the throne. Not you or anything else, but me. And God is going to test you in this way. He's not going to tempt you. He's going to test you to, to see if you're willing to give up your most prized possession. And if you're not, here, here, let me just tell you how this works out. If you're not willing to give that up, then it becomes an idol. And your spouse, your kids, your jobs make absolutely crummy gods. They're terrible gods. They will fail you over and over and over again. They were never meant or intended to be elevated to that level. They're meant to be a common grace from God that's good and it's beautiful, that can be used for his kingdom purposes. But God is the one who gets our life. He has our life in his hands. And Abraham just does it. He just goes and sacrifices, goes for it. Which to me brings up a couple different things here. In this text, one of the things I said early on of these people that I saw that were making these huge changes where marriages were healed or or marriages were were reconciled or healing had taken place, I saw something very similar in all of these people's lives that I saw in, in Abraham's life here. And the first thing I saw was a relentlessness to obedience and submission to God. If Abraham didn't act in faith and obediently follow through, what would have happened there? I mean, we don't know. This is the plan that God has in place. But, but Abraham submits himself to God's obediently and just goes. Hey, wait, wait, I feel like if anyone could have asked a question. Okay, hang on. Now, I just want to make sure I heard this right, Lord. You want me to take my one and only son to some place I have no idea where I'm going and dismember him? And burn him up? Like, I feel like I would have probably been like, hey, I need to call some, some people to get some healthy counsel here. Okay, does this make sense? No, yeah, it totally doesn't make sense, right? Okay, good, I must be hearing it differently. But instead, he just said, this is the Lord's voice. He, he knew the Lord's voice, which is something that we should as well know. We should hear God's voice in our hearts. If we're followers of Jesus, we should, we should hear him speaking to us through other believers, through God's word, through teaching, through what we see around us. Like, God is ultimately speaking to us. And Abraham was obedient. And then the other part of that is that he was willing to sacrifice his greatest possession. What I saw in these marriages that were falling apart, that had no chance of hanging on, what I saw in people that were dealing with with medical stuff that the doctor's like, totally perplexed, what I saw is a willingness to sacrifice whatever it took. Not to be healthy. That wasn't the main goal. It was to sacrifice whatever it took so that God could get the glory. And again, imperfectly, just in case you're wondering, Abraham is not perfect. Okay, Genesis 12, right after the promise of God, like, I will bless you and any of your enemies, don't worry about it. He fears an enemy and says Sarah's his sister. And she gets taken off to the harem with all the, the king's women and about to be defiled, and God intervenes. This is right after he says, I will bless you and I will, I will curse your enemies. I feel like if God told me that, I'd be like, man, I'm, I'm invincible. Not even a year later, and he's like, ooh, they, you know, you're really pretty, Sarah, and they, they might attack me and take my stuff, so just say you're my sister. So he says he's his sister and gets a bunch of blessings from the king, which is I think a really funny thing, because he, instead of the blessings from the Lord, he took the blessings from the king in that situation. And then, just, just in case you're still thinking that Abraham was, like, super holy and you could never do it, in Genesis 16, he impregnates his wife's Egyptian servant. This is a year, like a year after the most intimate covenant ever made. <laughs> like, barely a year later, it's like, oh, yeah, you know, it has been a long time. We are obviously not going to make this work, so, so how about, yeah, this makes sense. We'll just, we'll just use this Egyptian servant. Go around God's plan. Let's not be patient for what God's doing. Let's just, let's just make this happen ourselves. So often I see us doing that very thing. That very thing where we are so impatient. We are so impatient that we will go around God to do things that seem to make sense for God. And God's saying, oh, well, hang on, I, I got this. Not only am I the author of your faith, but I'm the perfecter of it. Let me do what I came to do. And just in case you were wondering if Abraham still was like, man, the solid dude never messed up. Genesis chapter 20, he didn't learn his lesson. He pretends that Sarah's his sister again, and God has to intervene. I mean, it's like, this this is ridiculous. Abraham was not perfect. He messed up. But what we see Abraham doing, and why I think God has restored this or upheld this history for us for this whole time, is you see two things very present in Abraham, sacrifice and obedience. It's hard to have a living faith without seeing sacrifice or obedience. It's really hard. I understand, like, let me, let me say it a different way. James, who's the half-brother of Jesus, the author of the book of James, which, by the way, in it of itself should be enough reason for us to believe in Jesus, because I just don't know how anyone could convince their brother that they were the Lord, okay? Like, I mean, like, like maybe when they're really little, you could do it, but like they're gonna come to and be like, you're definitely not the Lord, okay? But James comes to, he comes to and realizes Jesus was truly who he was. He's the Messiah. He's the Lord. And James now is following his Brother, half brother, and he says it this way in James two twenty. He says, Do you want to be shown, you foolish person? Okay, that's harsh language, but hang out with me. He's he's making the argument that faith without works is, is, is absolutely pointless. He right up right before this he says, You believe that God is one great, even the demons believe that. Demons believe in God, but they don't follow, they don't submit to him. And so he goes on in, in chapter two, verse twenty. You foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless. Not kind of part helpful, useless. Was not our Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works. Now, James is not contradicting Paul when he says it's by faith alone you're justified. What he's saying is if you want to see the value of your justification, you'll see it played out. If you want to see if it's real, you want to see if it's happened, it'll automatically come out in works. Just in case you're wondering if James was off his rocker, he's just repeating what Jesus said in John 15. Jesus gives this parable about the vine. He says, look, you're either a good tree that bears good fruit or a bad tree that bears bad fruit. And we always try and find that third tree out there. I'm just, I'm a good tree, but I just, you know, I'm just having a bad season. And Jesus says, no, no, if there's a, br- if there's a branch in a good tree that's not connected to me, I'm going to cut it off. If there's something that's producing fruit, guess what? I'm going to cut it off so it'll produce more fruit. That sounds like a violent process. It doesn't sound like it's super easy. And so many of us waffle in our faith because it's difficult. Like, oh, man, he's pruning me. This hurts. He's saying, yeah, I'm making you more like me, which should be your goal as well. You don't want more of you. You want more of me and less of you. And so faith and works work together. And Abraham, despite he did it imperfectly, he stepped out in faith, by faith, obedient to God's God's word and sacrifice. Now, why would Abraham do that? Now, Abraham has what these last three patriarchs have that were shared, okay? These last three patriarchs are kind of like, Blitz through Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. He just kind of like, and they by faith, they by faith, they by faith. Just kind of like throws them in there. Like, oh, by the way, here they are. And what's interesting, aside from Jacob's life, who maybe struggled a lot, and Isaac made some pretty big mistakes too, I think in, in, in multiple of these lives, I feel like I could point to, if I was the author, I would be like, here's a couple other areas that they were super faithful. Let's just start with Isaac for a second, okay? Isaac is stronger than his dad. No one would probably argue that. Now, I bet, I bet Abraham had some mean old man strength, okay? I bet that was the case. But either way, there is no way that Abraham could have forced Isaac, if Isaac didn't want to, to get up on that altar. No way. Isaac, on the way up, is like, Well, where's the ram? The Lord will provide. And then it's like, Okay, son, give me your hands. You've got to get up on the altar. Like, if I'm Isaac, I'm thinking, Oh, I'm the lamb. I'm the the one that he's sacrificing. And again, this is conjecture, but I think think Isaac, instead of like questioning his dad and finally, I think he went like this All right, dad, time up. time up. What do we need to do? Get me up on the altar. Let's do this. <laughs> why would, why would Isaac do that? And if I were going to write about it, I feel like that would be the biggest step of faith because it takes crazy faith in your father to stand up on, get on an altar that's about to be burned and stabbed and, and dismembered. I don't think I could convince any of my children to do that. I really don't. So what did Isaac see? Was it because he threw the football with him all the time on Tuesdays? They watched their favorite show on Netflix? Was it because he was, you know, playing games and wrestling with him? Was it because he saw the way that he treated Sarah or the saw his life? I think all that played a role into it. But you know what I think made a bigger difference in Isaac's life? Is he saw Abraham's faith. I, I bet even all the mistakes that Abraham shared, I bet he actually shared those with Isaac. Yeah, I made some stupid mistakes. And Isaac, his son, who has a good amount of years with him, his only son, so he's got lots of dad's time, he steps willingly, faithfully onto the altar saying, I trust what my father has heard from the Lord. Now that is faith. Why don't you write about that, God? Why don't you put that in there? Because I think what Hebrews is trying to force us to think about over and over and over again, the same reason why he goes rapid fire on all these people, like Joseph, there are a million other things that Joseph did in his life that were incredibly faithful and literally the one they go to is because he speaks of the exodus and makes arrangements for his bones to be buried in the promised land? Like, that seems like, what are you doing here? And what the author is doing in Abraham's life, both showing sacrifice and obedience, it's showing that Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph all did the same thing that we are commanded to do. They looked forward to the promises of God. Every single one of them, Isaac blesses, with the form, the the for the promise, Jacob, who's walking with a limp, hangs over his his cane because he's because he's he can't he's got a limp. Remember when he wrestled with God and or touched his hip and it's out of the socket like he just never healed from that. So he's assuming he's just limping around. He's resting on his cane, worshiping at his deathbed. It's not that he should be. That's what the point is. The point is, is at the very end of his life, he's still blessing for the future promises. Joseph is talking about the Exodus. He's saying, look, you guys, God is going to free us. He's going to free us from the Egyptians. He's going to send us out. It hasn't happened yet, but it's coming. And then he says, and because it's coming, I want my bones to be buried in the promised land, just like my father Jacob had his bones buried in the promised land. Think about that. For years, Israelites were carrying around the bones of Joseph. His faith was being spoken of while they were carrying it. He was so confident that the promised land would go. It's like, put my bones there so that they can be in the promised land. So every time someone looked at, who's that? Well, that's Joseph's bones. We're just carrying those to the promised land. Man, he was that confident that the promised land was coming? Taking turns keeping each other's houses? Well, you gotta keep them now. They all looked forward to the promises, which you know what? When I look at those marriages that were falling apart and I look at people that were struggling to have babies or or people that that have physical ailments, I saw something in, in total parallels this, which was a faithfulness to look forward to the promises of God. If God doesn't heal this, I don't care. I want to make much of his kingdom. If God doesn't bring me a child, I don't care because he's worth more than a child. A fixation, a, a looking, a, a gaze where your head is lifted up, where you, where you look up. God is the lifter of heads, right? He lifts you up and says, no, look, look at me. And what you see in Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph is a fixation on the promises of God. And I saw those very same things in those individuals that were wrestling with their marriages the wrestling of those things, this, this relentlessness to say, you know what, I don't care what happens in this vapor of a life. I'm going to work as hard as I possibly can with the Spirit's help and His strength so I can be weak to really to make right and to reconcile what I've done. But at the end of the day, I don't care because ultimately I know old, I, am, I have got a place being set for me with Jesus Christ and I cannot wait to worship Him as a family with my community. A fixation on the future. And I The problem is is most of us are so fixated on our futures here on this vapor of a life that we miss the whole point of the prayer that Jesus teaches people. God, bring your kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. That's a a request. We can ask for that. We should be longing for that. We should be pleading God to bring that because it's the only way that all this brokenness and grossness in our lives goes away completely and is done for finally is because God comes again. And Abraham... Let's it on the promise. Hey, you, you promised that Isaac was going to do this, so I'm just going to let you deal with the future and reconcile whatever you're telling me to do here right now. I'm just going to go ahead and step in this because it doesn't make sense to me, but you know what? I'm going to do it. And some of you right now, God is asking you to do something that doesn't make, sense, doesn't make sense for you relationally, doesn't make sense for you financially, doesn't make sense for you in your vocation. You're like, man, it just seems backwards. Why would I do this? It doesn't seem like God wants to do it as if providing for my family is the biggest need as opposed to training up my child in the way they should go so they never will depart from it. We, we spend so much time planning out our little vapor of a future. And God says, no, 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 no. Let me lift your head up. There's, there's more. There's more. You're, you're, you're settling for less, and I have so much more for you. God is not a finicky giver. This is one of the things that, like, oh, go. don't pray for patience because God will give you reason to be patient. As if God's up there going, oh, I'm going to mess with you. Oh. Like, that's not God. God is a generous giver. He's an amazing God. And if you need patience, he will give you patience because it comes from his spirit, not you anyways. So we need to live our lives with faith. And to do it, there's three things. Finally, a little bit more practicality out of Hebrews 11, right? We've We've been looking at these lives for quite a while now. Take sacrifice and obedience. So what's your Isaac? What is God calling you to sacrifice? What is he asking you to give up to him? What is he leading you to say, no more, you're done. This relationship is not of me. You keep going around like Hagar and Sarah did to try and bring a son at the wrong time. No more. What is it? Is it your, is it your job? College students, is it your degree? Is it the person you're going to marry when you have kids? I'm, I'm, I'm all fine with plans. That's great, but... But there are plans. If they're not God's plans, it doesn't really matter. What are you, what are you not sacrificing? And, and here's the thing. My bet is whatever's most precious to you, almost all of you probably have something in your mind that's super precious to you, right? Whatever's most precious to you, the reason why you're struggling to sacrifice it, the reason why you're, you're unwilling to dismember it, and to get rid of it, no matter how good it may be, it may be in a profoundly good thing. You justify all the good things, but God is saying, nope, I don't want this. And you're like, that doesn't make sense. Now, if you're in a marriage and you're thinking, oh, man, my God's trying to get rid of it. No, okay, let's just stop there right now. God does not want that, so come talk to me if you have an issue in your marriage there. I'm not saying sacrifice your marriage in that way. What I'm saying is sacrifice in the way that she or he can no longer be your God in that marriage. That you are one flesh under God, not that you are individual gods competing with God. But what is he asking you to sacrifice? And the reason why most of us won't sacrifice those things, the reason why we won't, when we see that precious thing with our money, but I have to have this much for retirement so that I can cruise control for the rest of my life. Like, you know, I'm not against retirement, but I'm still looking in the scriptures where it says, hey, you can just coast for the rest of your life. I don't see it anywhere. In fact, I feel like it's not done until he says you're done in the work, which is being in heaven with him, celebrating at a feast with Jesus Christ. But the reason why we won't do it is because we're not trusting the promises of his future. His future has become dim to us. You know, I see this, people, life, life gets really hard, right? You get really struggling, and believers are like, man, just where is God in this? And, and the first thing I want to say, which is why I'm not a counselor, okay, <laughs> is read the scriptures, what, what promise is he giving you? He says, I will never leave nor forsake you. So that means he's right there with you in your most saddened, alone, and depressed spot. God is right there saying, I'm here, I'm here. Look at me, look at me. I will walk you through this. I can work with this. I got these doctors coming. They're gonna help you. He's right there actively pursuing you. Jesus is actively, we've, we learned this in Hebrews already. He's actively up there interceding on us individually. He's praying for us every single day. When we walk towards temptation, it's like, oh Lord, I'm praying for them. God, help them, help them do this. Holy Spirit, help them walk through this. Don't let them give themselves to that. He has never left or forsaken us. The reason why other things take precedence is because that very promise right there doesn't hold true to us. The promise that he says he'll forgive us or that he will complete the work in us. We just believe we're just too hard for him to complete. There's just too many steps. God just can't do it. I mean, he breathed that word and and the earth showed up, but I just don't know how he's ever gonna fix my relational problems. I just, you know what, no matter what I do, financially, I'm always behind. I just can't ever get there. It just must seem too big, although God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. So maybe there's a reason, an underlying reason that you're not submitted to there. Would you submit yourselves in obedience and step out in faith and sacrifice anything fixated, I mean fixated on the future, so fixated that people are like, would you stop talking about the kingdom of God? It's just like, I mean, can you live a little presently? I would love to hear that happen more often. I would love for people to go, you know what? I had this 10-year plan for my life, but I realized tomorrow's not even promised because a bird doesn't fall from the sky that God doesn't know about. So I can guarantee he knows when my time's up. So I'm gonna live more presently today, not for myself, but for his kingdom purposes. The band's gonna come up and we're gonna worship some more. And what we see in these patriarchs is true living faith will have sacrifice and obedience. It will. And that a fixation on God's promises is not only true, but what we desire most in life is what he's asking of us. It's what he's leading of us. It's what he's given us the Holy Spirit to do in us. So would you be more fixated on that? Would you submit yourself obediently to God? Some of you that means right now, you know. I said sacrifice and you know very well. You're like, oh man, you're like getting sweaty palms, kind of uncomfortable in your seat because you're like, I know that that means that this relationship is supposed to end because I'm not honoring God with it. But, 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 and you know. Walk in obedience. Get up the next morning and leave. Like, I, I'm telling you, if, if God said that to me, I feel like I could be like, oh, man, I woke up late today. We'll, we'll start tomorrow. It's a long trek ahead of us. Oh, well, you know, I haven't gotten the groceries yet, and we've got to get this. I've got to button up these things first so that I can get going again. I feel like I'd find a way to delay all of that, and I think a lot of you are doing the very same thing with God right now. Is you're delaying the very thing that he says, no, 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 no. When you let go of this, trust me. Trust me. Trust me. And he's the only one that can say that. We can go, well, He's trustworthy. Fully trustworthy. There's not a single thing in him that's gonna, that's not trustworthy. What's your Isaac? And some of you, you've got to stop looking at your future here on earth and look at your future in the kingdom of God. Start storing up for yourself treasures in heaven. Let your heart be there. Let your heart be there, not, not here in this stuff. Some of you, this means that you're going to have to give up a lot of things. A lot of things, and it's going to be painful, and it's going to be hard, and it's going to be difficult, and don't let, don't let yourself be fooled. I'm confident that Abraham, although he was confident walking into this, still wrestled with that idea. That's a visual he probably could have never gotten out of his mind, even if Isaac was raised from the dead. I'm pretty sure that he would have done it through tears as he did it. And so some of you need to start walking obediently in God with tears. Knowing that, man, he he is ripping, he is cutting away something in you that you've held so dear for so long, but it's become an idol, it's become a God. He says, you're done. I'm here to make you more like me. This is not about you. This is my grace and love for you, but it's about my kingdom purposes. And there are people that you know that need to know you, and I need them to see in you the faith that Isaac saw in Abraham to be able to just willingly walk up on that altar. May pray, Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your word. God, I know, I know in a room this size with this many people, I know there are so many people that are wrestling with the idea of sacrificing something. And so God, would you remind them that their jobs are not their jobs, that their money is not their money, that their families are not their families, that their children are not their children, that their spouse is not theirs, but they are all yours, made in the image of God. These people are made by you and they're your children first. Please don't let us place these things in in front of you. Please don't let us idle them the way that, that we have done so often in our lives, God. Whatever needs to be cut away of us, cut, God, so that we can be truly dependent on you in everything we do. Father, you are such a faithful God, such a good, good God. As we, as we get ready to, to, to sing in this next song, God, I, I pray that we'd be reminded of Proverbs 3, that I lean not on my own understanding, but in all my ways acknowledge you, and you will make my path straight, God. Would you, would you allow us to trust in you with all our heart, God? We know, we know that ultimately you are a good God, and we know that ultimately you are never, ever going to forsake your children those that have submitted their lives to you through Jesus Christ, for those in the room that haven't submitted themselves to you, God, would you, um, would you just speak your ever still dr- strong words to them that you are their God, that you desire them and that they would submit their lives fully to you. Not where they take you on and add you to everything else, but they would abandon their entire life to be with you. And for those of us that have spent some time following you, that have picked up some extra cargo along the way, God, would you help us just abandon it all for you? We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Father, it's truly um, the blood of Jesus that we can stand here and worship you. It's the blood of Jesus that we can live for you. It's the blood of Jesus that helps us all walk in the freedom that we so don't deserve, but we get because of Jesus. It's in his precious name, his precious spilt blood that we, we glorify you, God. Amen. Well, you guys can grab a seat. This is Brian, one of our elders. I promise most of you won't believe me on this, but I didn't time this announcement we're about to share with you the way it was. So when we began the year, I'm telling you, literally, I want to make sure you know this. We began the year, I said, hey, this is a year we're going to have to risk in faith. This is a year that we're going to have to really move forward with faith, and who knows what that's going to mean. And then coming to this weekend... I didn't actually plan it to be talking about Abraham and Isaac and that whole thing. Like that was, like you guys may give me, I just want to make sure no one gives me any credit for really timing things well, because that was all the Lord's timing for what I'm going to share. If you're an owner, you received an email this last week, and this is exciting news, that you should have received from me earlier. If you are an owner and you didn't receive an email, please contact Maddie, get your email updated. If you're not an owner, you're like, wait, what do you mean an owner? Well, that Rev 22 Basics class I told you that's this Friday that's how you get into one of those. So, so we communicate a lot with our owners and do that. So please sign up for that class at the info desk if you want to be there. But this email went out last week, and I'm super, super excited. We are officially, as a church that's been looking for a place to meet on Sundays for seven years, we have officially found a potential place for us to meet as a permanent location in downtown Boise. Yes, praise God. It's exciting. So a couple things you need to know. Um, we're currently walking through the process of moving both our Sunday services, our offices, and everything at this facility. And this is, uh, this is exciting because there's a lot of things that have to happen. It's currently not a church, so there's a lot of zoning and other things that have to happen. About over the next four weeks, we're hoping to be able to share the vision and what God's doing. We're not going to talk about it every week, but we're hopefully going to have a lot more details. Uh, I want to just say this right at the beginning. I, decide, besides the fact that my back is no good today, I don't mind setting up and tearing down every week. The purpose to finding a space is not to not have to set up and tear down. The purpose is for us to dig some roots in so that we can continue to press into loving God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love our neighbor as ourself. So I'm super, super excited about that. We're gonna be meeting with investors and contractors who will be involved in converting this existing building into a usable space. This process is going to take a lot of time and quite a bit of money, but God has already shown us that he's in charge of this whole process by the way he's lined everything up so far. And so I wanna share a few of those really awesome things. First thing, the people that own the building are believers. And they, when they found out kind of, Backdoor channels that it was a church that wanted to meet in there. They got super excited, and they went into contract for $250,000 under in appraised value on the space. Okay, so that's huge, right? In downtown Boise, in a market that is out of control, right? The second thing is, additionally, about a year ago, I got connected from another church, a really good friend, pastor, friend of mine, to an investor who said, hey, I have some money. I want to buy a building for a church to use. And so, so we have been talking for a year with the elders with through a lot of prayer and he is the one that has gone in contract to purchase this building. So right now, building being sold for less, investor buying the building, which is incredible. So that's not anything that we are having to do, which is incredible. Thirdly, is there's a bunch of other things that have to come up with this. We have to uh, secure parking, all those other things. Well, one phone call and the person's like, well, I'm not going to charge a church. You guys can go and have the parking lot for free on Sunday. So, so it seems like God is really moving in a lot of really, really cool ways. But the one thing in this agreement is that we are going to be responsible for the tenant improvements is what it looks like. And we're, we're pricing those out with buildings, or with owners and all those other things, and so with builders and all that stuff. And so we are looking forward to sharing more of this with you. Now here's the most exciting news, okay? This is what's crazy. Because it's, it's the way it is, because it's how it's going, we could actually close on this building the first week of November. That's how fast it could go. So we need lots of prayer. Please be praying a lot because this is a lot to take in and a lot of things to do. And then what we're going to do is we're going to continue to finalize what it takes to get the space, get all those things in place. What we're asking for you guys to do right now is start praying for this. Here's the building if you want to see a picture of it. It's on, it's on Main and 27th. One point, it says, it says on, on Google Maps it's a three minute drive from here. From BSU, it's a 1.5 mile bike ride on the Greenbelt to it. So you can get right to it. And it's way bigger than what that yeah, picture shows. Yeah, this, this is a building for ants. Okay. Yeah. That's, <laughs> so um, <laughs> that's, that's at least one at least corner be two, it two, two it, times that big. Yeah. Yeah, that's one yeah. corner up. Um, <laughs> so, so you guys are welcome to drive by, pray for it. There are there are tenants in there using his office space, so please don't walk in. Okay. <laughs> like, but you are welcome to go pray for it. We're going to hopefully get everyone there to pray at some point as we do some details. We've got meetings with builders and a bunch of other stuff this week. But we're asking you guys to pray as families, as gospel communities, um, and then ask you specifically to pray of how God is asking you to partner with us in this process. We will have to raise money. We will know those numbers specifically when it comes, hopefully, in two weeks or next week, potentially. We're trying to finalize all that, and we will have to do that through the tenant improvements on October, or on September 16th. We're going to give everyone the opportunity to respond to what God is asking for them to do in this process. We're going to call it Commitment Sunday. We're not going to make a big hoo that's going to be a million different days over and over again. I'm just going to ask you guys to be prayerful about it, prayerful what God is going to call you, if this is your home and this is where you're part to be, to sacrifice for us to be in this. We are super, super excited. There is a lot of opportunity for us to do some really great things, to be a blessing to the community, a lot of other opportunities to be a really big blessing for the area. It just, I have, I'm going to share one more fun story because it's okay. So I met with a pastor that's really close to there, another church that I've worked with a long time, and they're actually looking potentially at moving spaces. And one of their prayer requests was like, man, God, we've really been in this area, and we wanted someone to be here. And he didn't know that we were getting connected to this building, and this was there. And so when I met with him, he's like, you're kidding me. I just told my leadership team that we need to pray for God to provide a church in this area right here since we've been doing work. And so you just see God working on a big scale, and it's incredible. And so we are faithfully kind of stepping out in faith like Abraham, where we're not necessarily sure what the next step's going to be, but we're, we're walking in that. If you want to be a part of this, there will be lots of opportunities for you to be a part of this with sweat equity as we do some teardown and stuff like that. And also, if you are a contractor or anything else, the way that it looks like our builder, who is a believer, by the way, I can't, this is the most amazing thing. I'm sitting in McDonald's, okay, of all places. I don't need in McDonald's except for in the Philippines once a year, okay? Um, in McDonald's with the owners of this building, with our realtor who and his partner who are both believers, and the investor who's a believer, and then me, and we're just sitting there, we're praying for the opportunity. Say something, would you? <laughs> it's incredible. It's okay. incredible.
1: So earlier this week, we got to go into the building, and we were on the ground floor, just about to wrap up, mm-hmm. and we had three elders, mm-hmm. the youth one, yeah, the Eldest passionate, one, and the elder elder, <laughs> right? And then we had uh, we had the builder, who's a believer. Mm-hmm. Who has done this for many churches? We had two commercial real estate agents that are believers believers, yep. believers. we had the investor who actually has been sitting here in this congregation mm-hmm. from time to time. We got to sit next to him when the choir was here, mm-hmm. and we sat down next to him and had some great conversations that build an owner and it was just like Wow, this is Christ Church. Mm-hmm. This isn't mm-hmm. Rev twenty two. Yeah, no. This is yeah. this is kind of his plan and it wasn't our plan. Yeah. And it's just kind of amazing how this is all put together and going home this week, which has been a crazy week. Uh, just like, wow, what are what was my plans this yeah. week? And it just totally got turned upside-down, like, financial commitments mm-hmm. and stuff. Yeah. And it's, no, this is yeah. God's plans. Yeah,
0: absolutely. So you guys are welcome to, like I said, share, talk about it, be in prayer. Please, please be in prayer. You know it's crazy and awesome. The only time as a church in seven years of existence that we've raised money for ourselves was to get these garage doors in here. That was the only time. And it was, like, $12,000, I think, is what we raised, and we were about 100 people, 150 people. And we raised that in, like, two weeks or three weeks. It was incredible. And so... I've seen you guys give generously over and over and over again to the church and your stewardship of your finances. I don't see your individual amounts. So just so you guys can like, whew, okay, you don't have to breathe easy there. <laughs> but, um, but I've seen the numbers, I've seen, and I've seen what you guys have done for Novotis and, and numbers of other things that we've done. I've just seen generosity pour out of your hearts. And so I'm asking you guys to be prayerfully considering that. I'm excited about the potential. That being said, there is one more thing that I need to remind you of, okay? We still set up and tear down every single week, and so we have to do that until this space can be occupied by us, which could still be about five, six months out. So, um, for those of you that maybe haven't been a part of set up or tear down, we don't have to tear down after first service. There's a whole other service coming. Don't do that, okay? <laughs> but like maybe you could you could help us finish well and step into that, so that it's not um, a few people to kind of dragging at the end to do that as well. So let me pray for you guys, and um, we'll go from there. Father, I pray um, as as each individual praise about what their role is in your kingdom here on earth god i pray that we wouldn't be a distraction to that i pray that this building wouldn't be a distraction to that god i pray that we would never ever lose sight that it's just a tent it's just temporary um i pray that you would push on each of us individually to be faithful to you to to be generous by the standards you command us to be generous to be sacrificial by the standards you command us to be sacrificial no more and no less lord I pray that as we pray through this, I pray that as we work with the builders, I pray that we would just continually be amazed at how you, you secure things like parking over one phone call and how you, you take the numbers that were supposed to be the initial numbers of tenant improvements and cut them in half over, overnight. Like, God, you are just continuing to do amazing things in this. And we are super, super excited about the potential of being able to have a 10-year fixed lease at a very low cost um, in downtown Boise. Um, we love you, Lord, and we know that you have, you have kept us here. The reason why this church is even existing is not a work of man but a true work of Jesus Christ. And so, Father, we pray that he and he alone would get the glory for this. God, we pray that we wouldn't um, look at this as a way to slow down in our life, but instead would look at this as a way to ramp up, to continue to do more for your kingdom purposes all over this valley. And God, as we pray for, um, as I know churches have been praying immensely for us to be able to do something like this someday, I want to pray right now for those churches that are behind us that are still praying for this. God, would would you open up doors for them? Would you connect them in crazy ways where a guy just picks up the phone and says, I guess I'm buying you a building. How do we do this? And would you do those things for your kingdom purpose so that at the end of the day, no one gets any credit, not the investor, not the building owners, not the church, only your son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. God bless, guys. Thank you so much.